0: 정치자 여러분, 신고 전화가 하나로 통합됐다는 거 알고 계시나요? 긴급 신고는 112, 119. 나머지 모든 민원 상담은 110으로 통합됐다고요. 112, 119, 110. 이제 끝자리 2, 9, 0만 기억하세요. 긴급 신고는 112, 119. 나머지 모든 민원 상담은 국민콜 110, 110 아시겠죠? 앞으로 모든 민원 상담은 국민콜 110으로 전화하세요. 이 캠페인은 국민권익위원회와 행정안전부가 함께합니다.
1: In this week's Planet Korea, we welcome back our friend Colin Marshall for another installment of our occasional series on Korean urbanism. Colin is the local blogger for the Los Angeles Review of Books. He's a freelance contributor to The Guardian and other newspapers, and he's just an all-around prolific writer and podcaster on the topic of urban development and lifestyle. Once a month or so, we get together and we head out to explore some part of the city. This week, we took a sunny afternoon and visited a part of Jongno that was once the crown jewel of Seoul's economic progress. And these days, it's a laboratory for the city's efforts to balance the neighborhood that was with the neighborhood that can be. Have a listen. Colin, you've been telling me about this place for a while now. We've been planning to come when we finally made it Saeun Sanga is the name of this place. I figured it was going to be uh, a sprawling sort of labyrinth of little hallways and alleys and things like that. But instead, it's, it's kind of a tidy looking building. Well, from the very front, and you'll see those sprawling, you'll see that
0: labyrinth, those sprawling alleyways all inside it, because Seun Sangha is not just a building. It's a complex of buildings. It's a whole, like a row of battleships sailing from Jongno up there down to Tuigero. So it's a total of seven buildings right now. One was demolished about ten years ago, but it was built 50 years ago in 1968 as an all-in-one, as a city within a city, as what they would call a megastructure in the West in the 60s and 70s, an attempt to make a new city contain Within a single complex built of concrete, not so much idea, not so much thought given to aesthetics, but it was a super ambitious project for the time, and it still stands, though it's been in danger of being under the wrecking ball, uh, falling to the wrecking ball. Now it's, it's entering a new phase in its life. Tashi Seun, they're calling it, or to explain the name Seun Sangha a bit, Seun, uh, if you just break that down, like many Korean words, it's a compound, Sege uh, e the energy of the world. Or the shopping center with the energy of the world. Tashi Seun sounds a bit like rebuilt, or maybe even a reborn seun Sangha. and that's this is a project
1: project of just the past couple of years. So you're saying this is sort of a if we were able to teleport back into the 1960s, this would be quite a jaw dropping sort of bold step into the future. You know, sort of organization man at its finest in the in the 60s.
0: It's true, top down developmentalist mindset, and at that time. Now, of course, you look around, there's tall buildings everywhere. Even the apartment complexes are taller than this. But at that time, you find an old aerial photo from 68. This is the biggest thing in sight. Nothing touches it.
1: Colin, as we entered there, uh, I couldn't help noticing there's something that looked a bit like Optimus Prime, uh, a large, uh, I don't know, two-meter, two-and-a-half-meter tall robot uh, with a little greeting spiel.
0: Yes, Sebot, the new mascot, it looks like, of Seon Sangha. There was no robot greeting anybody for the first 45, almost 50 years of this place's life. He's new. He's part of this Tashi Seun project
1: to convert this place into an attraction as much as a utilitarian place of business. And uh, as you enter, it's almost a bit anticlimactic. You see the robot, and then you see what... It, Frankly, more than a marketplace, it almost looks like a warehouse. It looks like a storage place. This is a very old-school, old-fashioned-looking electronics floor that we've walked into.
0: Right, built in a time, as we say, when Korea's
1: priorities were to get buildings up,
0: do business in them, rinse and repeat.
1: We're going deeper and deeper into hallways of equipment, electronic equipment, things that I didn't even know really were still out there, uh, various forms of speakers and uh, disc players and whatnot. Um, and you mentioned that this is a, a real resource for people who have that electronic thing that might be 10 years old and it's broken and they don't know what to do with it because you've got a lot of uh, wonks here, right? It's true. I
0: recently brought a vacuum cleaner in that wasn't charging anymore. The guy knew exactly what to do. He had it back to me in a couple days. wasn't very expensive to get it fixed. The point is, yes, the, as they say, know-how in Konglish was here, is here. And it's because this place has been an electronics market for, as we say, 50 years. The surviving shops, and some have gone away, but many still survive, uh, they have that accumulated knowledge available. It's not just products, not just services, but the knowledge that these proprietors have put together over the years, the experience, it's all in here as well.
1: You were mentioning vacuum cleaners. You had your vacuum cleaner fixed. I did. I, uh, You know, we, we have a certain European brand of uh, vacuums at home that my mom has literally been using since I learned what a vacuum cleaner is. That's a hardy product. That is a hardy product, and it's one of these big sort of uh, olive pickle green Tanks of a vacuum cleaner that you drag behind you on wheels, and uh, for the until I was a teenager, I didn't even know that a vacuum cleaner could look any different than that. And needless to say, when I came to Korea and saw these little compact, sort of rechargeable, upright uh, brooms with canisters. Um, it was like a, a teleportation for me. Is this the future? This is the, <laughs> the future's now. I mean, a vacuum cleaner for me is a true nostalgia item. I'm still sort of trapped in a previous decade uh, with vacuum cleaners. Colin, uh, I guess one of the iconic experiences in Korea is to go to a Nurebang, and you'll find um, you know, always the singing machine in the middle, and then you'll find all kinds of whirring disco lights and strobes and uh, tambourines and handheld mics, which are pretty heavy on the reverb and the uh, tremolo. And, uh, the, the heavier the better. The heavier the better to, um, shall we say, camouflage our uh, shortcomings in song. And uh, you, know, you always wonder, where, where does all this stuff come from? And now I see in Seiyun this is the epicenter for um, restocking and restoring the equipment of Seoul's Norebangs. If you want to start a Norebang,
0: this is where you go first this after is you've where you got go. your
1: space. If you want to make your home into a Norebang, this is also where
0: you go, as you say, complete with the disco ball, yes. complete with the speakers, the actual unit that loads the songs, and not just Norebang. I mean, I was walking through a little earlier, and I saw a stack of those little jindong bells in coffee shops. You know, when you order, you get that bell, the disc that lights up and buzzes. Ah, those come from here. Okay. And so much of the, so much of these electronic devices you see in use in businesses every day, many of them, in all probability, came from say, Sangha.
1: Hmm. Perhaps the mics can pick up a little extra echo now because we're in this really tall atrium. It's about three or four stories tall uh, with a sunlit uh, roof um, with sort of some past materials it's a little bit worse for wear over time um and it's a it's an open space it reminds me of kind of a 1970s motel in a way in terms of the square features you've got basically three floors of uh, contiguous balconies that look out over the atrium and uh you know it's a very boxy space but uh, apparently back in the day this was a very cool and very chic place to, to live.
0: It was. These are the upper floors of the northernmost building of Seon Sangha, of the complex, right up against uh, Jongno. And yes, this was the first, Seon Sangha was the first ever mixed use apartment, residential, and commercial complex in Korea. This was the first time a complex like this was built where there were shopping and you could live. Now, what we're seeing are former apartments, and you can still kind of sense that it used to be apartments. they are offices now, many of them with a focus on the sort of new generation of makers, uh, places that uh, or there's also architecture firms and design firms in here, but this was all yes, high-grade housing at one point. In 1968, you had to be somebody to get one of these units in Seon Sangha. I mean, now they seem small and they don't meet the luxury standard that someone expects from a Korean apartment tower these days. But in 68, 50 years ago,
1: there was nothing better than here. Colin, we are in the clouds. Seunzanga, I was unaware before, I no longer am unaware, it has a absolutely beautiful roof, a roof garden even, they call it. No one was aware until about
0: well, less than a year ago. One year ago, you couldn't come up here. It wasn't built. This is an addition to the top of Seyonsanga, making it taller, adding a, a walkway around the roof, but yes, a roof garden as well, forming what they call Seon E or Seon's Rooftop. But colloquially, it's Seoul Eoksang. Seoul's Rooftop, because look around you. Seoul is all around you. Seoul Tower is there. The Jongmyo Shrine is there. Plenty of mountains and trees and towers, towers, towers. But also the, of the older generations of lower buildings, workshops, a lot of corrugated iron I can see on roofs. Buildings not in great shape, and buildings in very good shape indeed. Towers... Just being built, still uh, halfway to completion, glossy skyscrapers, everything, every kind of building in Seoul you can see from this Seoul Euk-san.
1: It really is like being sort of embraced by the city up here. Uh, you've got all the different facets of the city. If we look down, we can see sort of the shanty nature of uh, Jongno and uh, what Jongno might have looked like in, say, uh, the late 50s, early 60s before. Uh, businesses and government got ambitious and started building uh, centralized uh, communities like this. And then, of course, like you mentioned, the skyscrapers are all over. And then on the other side, I guess that would be the Jongryo Shrine from east. Seon Sangha. That's east, isn't it? Or is that north?
0: That's north. The Jongmyo Shrine is north. And actually, when you look straight down, we can see this concrete ramp that leads in a way from Jongmyo Shrine up to Seon Sangha. That ramp used to be the first building of Seon Sangha, Hyundai Sangha, but it was demolished in about 2008, so 10 years ago, when all of Seon Sangha was supposed to be destroyed. It was ready to go ready for the wrecking ball, was only actually saved officially in 2014. It was in limbo for a while there. No one in this building knew what they were going to do if they had to go somewhere else. But as you know, Seoul had a change of mayor. Park Won Soon is not into big buildings. He's not into demolition, not into mega projects. He's into reusing the existing infrastructure of Seoul, the existing buildings. So this is a very characteristic project, Dashi Seon, for the Park era of Seoul.
1: Every city has to reinvent itself, but you don't want that to be through uh, demolishing itself and creating a whole new uh, image and identity. You want to... Uh, refurbish what you have to the fullest extent possible, and uh, leave those traces of the past. I mean, you see that in great cities of the world, London, Paris, New York, and so on. All of these telltale buildings that were standing there in the 1930s. Obviously, Seoul has had some traumatic times since then. Uh, But the, the idea of keeping things more or less unchanged, but reused is such a cool approach.
0: And this shows you how much things have changed. In 1968 when this was built, it was built under the auspices of a mayor named Kim Hyonok. okay Do you know what his na- nickname was? Go. The bulldozer that tells you everything, right? I thought that was Imyong Bak's nickname. He had he had that too, but Kim Yong-nok was the original bulldozer. He was the bulldozer Imyong Bak, he bulldozed, sure, but he's nothing compared to the bulldozing going on in the 60s and the just massive construction without a thought as to what was there before or what things were going to look like 20 years down the
1: road. You know, the real bulldozing happened 50 years ago. I would think like the ultimate hipster move would be to live in Saeonsanga today in 2018.
0: Can you don't think I haven't considered it. You can. I'm told you can. They're not all offices. In this building, the northernmost building of Seonsanga, they're mostly offices. But as we go south, they, they have all been built with these upper floors of apartments. They were all originally built that way. And some of them are still majority apartments. Some are in better condition than others. And the plumbing is old school. As I say, it's not modern standards. But that could be a worthwhile sacrifice for
1: pure credibility on some level, yes? Imagine saying, yeah, come over to my place. We're having drinks tonight. Where? Same Sanga B two level or <laughs> you're whatever selling it is.
0: This to me, you're selling it.
1: <laughs> so, Colin, as if that building that we just walked through wasn't enough of a de facto museum of the history of consumer electronics. We're in an actual, literal museum of consumer electronics.
0: On the grounds of Seon Sangha, it's brand new. One of the many spaces newly built as a part of Tashi Seon. There's a deck, a concrete deck, running around these concrete buildings of Seon Technically, it's public space. It's just like a street. But part of the project has been to build all these new little buildings, almost just boxes, where there are architecture and design offices. There are workshops. There are, there's a book lounge. And what we're in right now is the Seon Electronics Museum. Look around you. What do you see here? It's memory lane, right?
1: It is absolutely memory lane and pre-memory lane. Things that maybe would be memory lane for my dad and my grandma. You know, there's a, an old-fashioned transistor radio. There's reel-to-reel tapes. There's boom boxes uh, that started to emerge and some of the first computers. There's a little teeny tiny adorable stand-up arcade game, kind of like you might see in Japan around, uh, you know, the beginning of the 80s or late 70s. Exactly. And if you want to buy them, they sell them in Seonsanga. (laughs) You could buy one? That is really hipster. They've got um, various things on the walls. They've got... uh, I guess what you might call the prehistory of electronics. And then they've got several sedes. They've got a one sede from the 50s to the 60s. The second sede they're describing as the 70s to the 90s. But wait,
0: you've missed the beginning. In 1940, it starts even before liberation uh-huh. with the earliest Korean electronics. So there's even more than that. It goes from about
1: 1940 till the near future. And then in the next room, uh, I guess we've got the modern day, the de, which is the year 2002, Uh I guess that's solid state electronics, digital technology, that kind of stuff, and uh, fiber optics and all of that.
0: And the making practiced here in Seon Sangha, people getting their own hands dirty with the latest technology and drawing on the knowledge of everything that's come before yeah. from the population
1: of Seon Sangha. whole different side here, Colin, to uh, Seon uh, We just passed various uh, cafes and bars, bookshops, things like that. It almost seems like a, a little nascent... Iksandong kind of arrangement here.
0: It has that vibe. It does remind me of our segment we recorded there a few months ago, maybe a few years ago now. But we are in Dedim Sangha, another building that's part of the Seon Sangha complex. We're out on the third floor deck still though. And here you can really see the new generation of Seon Sangha businesses mixing with the old. We have, you know, this cake shop. This new coffee shop, very high design, some bars that are getting ready to open for the evening that have clearly, they're clearly brand new and they're run by young people. And they're right in here with businesses that have been around for 10, 20, 30 or more years altogether. And it's something that makes you think about one of the, makes me think anyway, about one of the legal provisions made for this Tashi project. There was an agreement signed in 2016, like nothing I've ever heard about in the world of urbanism. It was an anti-gentrification agreement signed by both the city of Seoul and the residents or tenants of Seyun Sangha. And the agreement means that they're going to work together, ostensibly, to improve without gentrifying, meaning without forcing out, without creating conditions that will force out the existing... Uh, residents, the existing businesses of Seon Sangha who want to stay here. So we'll see what happens with that in the future. But that's kind of the holy grail, right, of 21st century urbanism: is how do we improve,
1: how do we revitalize without gentrification? Is it possible? I, well, I was about to say that's like me going to my doctor and signing an anti-aging agreement. You know, yeah. it's, it's wonderful in theory, and I promise not to age, but it's probably <laughs> going to happen. Yeah, you know, what's what is going to happen here? This
0: is only two years old, this contract, and the new Seon Sanga. It's only half complete. We've seen two of the buildings. Well, not two. Technically, we've seen, I think it's three and a half or so of the buildings. There's seven in total. As we said, the southern half below Ulduro, it's only just begun with its revitalization because I believe it's an Italian design firm has been contracted to do the sort of works on that. There's a lot of printing facilities. Much of the printed matter you encounter in Seoul comes out of that southern half of Seon Sangha. But it's still in the condition that I first saw Seon Sanghae which is still rough, still occupied, very well occupied, but still, I mean, it would look pretty decrepit to many eyes who have not seen it before. But that's only just beginning. But this half of Seun Sangha, the one we're in with uh, Seun Johnja Sangha and Chonggya Sangha and Derim Sangha, the, the building is done, the construction is done. Now we're just seeing what the
1: social reaction well, is. Well, nonetheless, yeah. But you've got all of these nodules which represent rentable spaces, right? You do. Um, and I suppose if you approach it almost like a condo board where you're, you every little... A decision about uh, what happens has to go before some kind of vote. Maybe you have a prayer on controlling gentrification, but if you have individual landlords that are looking for the best price they can get and they can charge ever higher and ever higher rents, and the only ones that can pay those rents are your chain coffee stores and your craft beer empires and so forth. That's gentrification. It's going to come knocking with its dollars and cents and its one. Gentrification isn't some boogeyman under the bed. It's just economics.
0: You're right. I would guess some of the measures of this, they can only really amount to the same thing as rent control, for example, for existing tenants. And that's all well and good. But, you know, as they say, what's that saying? No battle plan survives the first shot fired. Yeah. So, Seon Sangha is going to be more interesting in practice, even than it is in theory right now, I think. Who knows what's going to happen? But it is, on many levels, still experimental. This 50-year-old complex is somehow still an experiment.
1: Okay, Colin, well, we just had a lovely little cup of hazelnut coffee in a quiet and luxurious little Pabang.
0: Yes, a classic style Korean coffee shop. My favorite of its kind in all of Korea so far that I know. Korea
1: mm-hmm. nestled somewhere in Seongsan-ga. Yes, you'll have to find it for yourself, it's listeners. A challenge, listeners. It's worth it though because it's it's a real throwback to the oversized furniture. You know, uh, before the little teeny tiny hard plastic seats of modern coffee shops, in a tabang, you would get uh, these these just huge, long, almost sofa like experiences and uh, quiet afternoons. And it it struck me as a great place to go with some reading and uh, just to kind of sit and be literary for a while, you know? I've passed many an afternoon
0: there, writing especially. I get a lot done there.
1: Well, I suppose that's going to wrap up the uh, tour of the Sangha, right? We've seen the various buildings and uh, taken in a lot of nooks and corners and things. It really is a... uh, I I guess it's cliche, but a, a symbol of Korean urbanism, right? It really is,
0: especially Korean urbanism as practiced right now in the 21st century, in 2018 specifically. And every time I come, something surprises me here. There's always something new, always something different, always something old that I'd never seen before. It's so big. There's whole floors I've never explored. There's places like the... Seoul City College is running its own... It's running a branch campus in the basement here. There's so much I've never even set eyes on. So Seon Sangha, it's like Seoul itself, always changing, but changing in the way that Seoul itself is. It's, it's revamping, finding new uses. It's sort of looking again, figuring things out in a new way because the old ways don't necessarily work so well anymore. Does the world know about Seon Sangha? Is it known outside of Korea? Well, it's appearing, it's having a moment in the Korean media and the Western media. At The Architectural Review did a Korea issue recently, which I wrote in, but not about Seon Sangha, though it did have quite a spread on Seon Sangha. Uh, Owen Hatherley, an English architecture critic uh, of my acquaintance, he wrote an article in Design about Seon Sangha recently. He said this, and I quote, it is exactly the sort of place that contemporary urbanists and architects talk about creating, combining recycling, reindustrialization, automation, density, urban agriculture, live workspaces, democratic accountability, permeability, complexity. But generally, they end up creating relatively conventional gallery malls like, and he doesn't like, the Dongdaemun Design Plaza instead. But at Seon they can plug themselves into an already functioning infrastructure that already fulfills many of those ideas. So whether or not you like
1: the DDP, you can agree with what Owen has to say about Seoun Sangha itself. It's a cool quote to go out on. I guess we'll wrap it there. Colin, I'll see you again soon. See you soon. Huge thanks once again to Colin Marshall. It's always fun to walk around the city and get his take on soul life and urban concepts in general. He is online. If you want to find Colin, it's very easy to do Colin with one L if you haven't checked out his podcast series in addition to the many things that he writes I encourage you to do so he's got a thing called uh, notes what is it called diary on cities and culture I believe that's the the title of it he did about 30 episodes in Seoul alone and he's been to other cities in the world so there's plenty more to listen to as well as read the title of his blog where all of this stuff is consolidated is blog.colinmarshall.org